You are listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. To learn more about CRCC, including worship times, visit us at crcconline.com. Now, I want to take a different approach because we're in the middle of a Together series, and I'm always amazed at how God is working so much in front of us because we had this series and been working on this series a couple of months ago, back at the end of August, the middle of September, and, and we're looking at everything that's going on. And I think now more than ever is a time for us to really think about that aspect of what does it mean to be together. And if you'll remember last week, I said there's three questions that lead to a fourth that I want us to answer during this series. What does together mean? What does it mean? Why is it important? How can I have it? And then the last part, and what is my role in creating it? Well, with it being baby dedication, here's what I want you to kind of think about, because I don't know that it's as much Again, is baby or child dedication as much as it is parent and church dedication. And here's the concept. The year was 2000. And there was this amazing movie that hit the screens. It had this one particular character named Jack. That he had this circle of trust. Some of you guys already know where I'm going, right? And then you had this other guy that was trying to get into the circle of trust. And the whole movie was built around Ben's character, Ben Stiller, trying to have this one character where he's trying to, to earn because he's, he's engaged. He wants to become a part of the family. And, and Jack, this CIA agent, this Vietnam vet, has this, this circle of trust. He's got to be able to trust you before you can be a part of this family. The name of the movie? Meet the Parents. It was followed up by a sequel, but it's one of those things that it was an amazing movie. It's a hilarious movie. It seems like if you get older and you start having kids that date, you also start quoting this movie or you start doing some of the symbols, you know the... Yeah? Because there's this concept that you're wanting people to kind of enter into this circle, right? And that's actually the approach that I want us to take this morning. What does it mean to be on the inside of this circle taught together, and how do we treat people that are on the outside of that circle to get them where they're on the inside? It brings up several questions in my mind. Number one, do people realize there's even a circle? That, that, that's kind of the basis of that movie that I'm not going to spend any more time on, but it kind of climaxes where they're, they're in jail, and they're, you, you have these three characters, they're all in jail, and and they're like, you, uh, you don't have a circle anymore. Now it's my circle. He's like, you can't control the circle. It's my circle. No, now it's my, you know, it's like, is there even a circle? And then number two, is there anything in the circle that's even contagious that makes people want to be in it? Can I say that apart again? Is there anything that's inside of, of your circle that makes people notice it and say, hmm, man, I, I, I would like to be in that. Is there anything in your life that is intriguing or causes curiosity or is contagious that makes people say, you know what, I would like to be a part of your together? I believe those are two very, very, very important questions. I think if we're not careful, we have a concept in our world, in particular in the United States in 2020, especially in the church, that we just assume, and we know what that word does, right? We assume that everybody just wants to be a part of this. Like we take the field of dreams approach, don't we? If you build it, well, they'll come. 
And you have churches popping up all over the place that are buildings. And remember, church, I said this last week, whenever you hear me say the word church during this series, I'm not talking about a building that you go to to worship. I'm talking about a group of people who you are. Church is not somewhere you go, it's something you are. But we have this establishment called the church that's meeting in these different buildings, and we see churches being planted or built or expanding, and there's almost this concept, well, if we build it, then they'll come. If, they'll, you know, we just, if it's something new, if it's something contagious, that maybe that'll strike their eye. Maybe all of a sudden they'll start getting interested. And we're realizing that, honestly, that was great in the 80s, but that doesn't work in 2020. Like this generation down here, this amazing generation down here, they're looking for something that's real and life-changing. Like the idea, it, it's, it's the concept that happens in the book of Acts. You know, in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 3, he talks about how this major aspect of Pentecost hit and, and 5,000 people in one day, and then they were meeting together and breaking bread and going from house to house. And there was an understanding of godly things that was in that culture. That's the way they were able to do that so quickly. By the time you get to Acts chapter 17 through 17 through 20, it's expanded to other cultures. It's no longer this Jewish concept. Now it's a Gentile and Samaritan concept. And they don't have the background that the Jews has had. So all of a sudden, it wasn't just this simple little house-to-house -house meeting. There was more that went into it. But I think if we're not careful, we base our relationships assuming that people already understand what biblical truth is and what's right and wrong rather than trying to live it. And I want to give you a scripture. It's actually two simple scriptures. Two simple scriptures that's in Colossians chapter 4 for us to look at. Because when we're talking about baby dedication, child dedication, parent dedication, church dedication, here's the concept. George Bush Sr., really, really hammered home the greatest aspect of success as a parent. When they talked to him after being president of the United States, being vice president for two terms with Ronald Reagan, when they talked to him about all the things and how do you measure success, he said one simple statement. He said, we believe success is geared by the fact that our children still want to come back home. Like, what is it that we're creating that makes people want to come back home? As a church, what are we creating? That when people make a decision, life hits them and knocks them sideways. They may find themselves in a situation. They don't really know how they got there. And they go, wait a minute, but I, I know how to go back home. Like, if there was a testimony of Crossroads, I would hope that we are a people that is welcoming and always encouraging people that no matter where you're at, you can always come back home. But you know, that's not always the case, is it? There's some people that turn 18 and take off to never be seen again. There's some people that, that go to college and never come back. There's some different things, and, and, and it's not, and listen, some of you guys may be living this. Listen, I'm not talking about any particular people. But you wonder, what is it that we need to do to create something that is enticing for people to desire to want to come back? And here's the scripture I want to share with you. You ready? Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Two simple, simple verses. It says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Can I read it again? 
Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is a major scripture that tells us one of the things that we can do when we talk about how do we deal with people that are not in our circle, they're on the outside of the circle, but hopefully we're living a life where there's always room for somebody else to come in, right? There's always room for somebody else to come in. And the first thing it says is what? Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Now, for us to understand this, you need to understand the concept of what is wisdom. Because a lot of people have knowledge, but they lack wisdom. You ever heard somebody says, well, that guy, he's just book smart. He's not real street smart. Anybody ever heard that? Maybe it's just me because of my background. But we say, you know, they're, they're book smart, but they're not street smart. You know what they're saying? They're knowledgeable, but they're not wise. They know the truth, but they don't live the truth. They know the right things, but they don't practice the right things. See, wisdom is not just having knowledge. Wisdom is applying it. That shows up in two main ways. Not does it show up in applying knowledge, but it also shows up in you listening to the spirit that lives in you when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what walking with wisdom means. Some of you fixing to get up and leave. You're going to be so mad at me. Just bear with me. I promise. I'm on your side. You know when you get a job offer and you know you really shouldn't do it, but there's a part of you that says, I'm going to do it anyway? You know when you meet somebody and you know like everything in your gut says, boy, this person really isn't right for me, but boy, they are... They are a hot tea, and I am going out with them anyway. Or, or you, you have a relationship, and all of a sudden you start talking to somebody, and you're going, boy, this, this really isn't something I need to be dabbling with, but you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. I want to go on this trip. I really shouldn't go on this trip because it really doesn't make sense with where I'm wanting to go with my life and some of the plans that I have, but I, I, just, I just need a break, and I'm going to go do this trip anyway. See, all of that is lacking walking in wisdom. Walking in wisdom is not only having knowledge and applying it, but it's also being able to trust the Spirit in you when you have a direction in your life that you say, you know what, I'm not going to go based on my own emotions, on my own senses. I'm going to let this Spirit that dwells in me guide me in some situations. For all of you guys that are single, please listen to me. There's always going to be somebody. But you got to find the right somebody. Like you got to trust what's in you. To all you men, trust me, and ladies, listen to me. There's always going to be a career to chase. My mother told me one time, I said, man, I feel like I can never get everything done. And she's like, good, that's called a job. Because if you got everything done, it's called unemployed. So be thankful. And I thought, hmm, that makes sense. But it's one of those things that you sit there and you say, you know what, that's part of it, right? Like, can I tell you, in, in Solomon, the biggest thing that he talks about, whether it be Ecclesiastes or in Proverbs, the constant thing he talks about is be careful what you're chasing. Because you may catch it and realize it wasn't worth chasing. I would love to get a, a lot of 70-somethings in the room. It's like, okay. Let's spend as much time as we need. Please tell me all the things that you chased it after that at the moment, well, you thought this was the biggest deal in the world. 
and you got it just to find out that it wasn't worth chasing and just take notes. Wouldn't that be an awesome conversation? Like just to listen to some people and they say, oh, well, let me tell you something. I chased after a dollar and I realized there was always one more. I chased it after a career just to find out that you retire. I chased it after parenting my children just to find out that they graduate and leave. Like one of the things that you can look at when you start trying to figure out what it is you should be chasing, I promise the thing that you should chase that's going to be the most fulfilling, you're never going to walk away from, you're never going to retire from, and it's never going to leave you. That's why it's fulfilling. That's how you know that it's the thing you should be chasing. If you just use that measuring stick, I'm not going to say much more about that, but if you use that measure stick, you're going to very quickly understand what you really should be chasing in your life. And if it's something that one day you're going to retire from, one day it's going to leave, or one day you're going to be forfeited and you're going to die and leave it here, I would tell you that's probably not the thing to be chasing. But it talks about walk in wisdom. Then listen to the next words. Woohoo, man, these are good. Talking about a, for such a time as this. Walking in wisdom towards the outsider. So it, it specifically says when you're dealing with people that are on the outside, you need to use wisdom. And then listen to these words. Boy, these are powerful words. It says, making the best use of the time. Have you ever been in a relationship or you ever talked to somebody or have you ever met somebody? And like the whole time you were talking to them, like, like you, I'm going to use you as an example. You and I are in a conversation and the whole time that we're talking and you're talking to me, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, and you're talking to me and I'm just kind of like, and at the end, it's like, well, it's good to, good to meet you too. And, they take, and you're like, man, they never engaged me. There was nothing that they did to make me feel validated, important, or even they wanted a relationship. What's funny is later on, when all of a sudden you have something that's of worth to them, and all of a sudden they come back to you, and then they want to, hey, let's meet for lunch, or hey, I'd like to build a relationship with you. Hey, I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. And you're going, wait a minute, dude, we just... We just met, and you, like, looked right over the top of me. Oh, but now I know you have something that, that I need. See, I, I have a tendency to want to use people is what they're saying. Like, if you have something that makes my life better, then you're important to me. But if you don't have anything that makes my life better, well, I don't have time for you. This is saying don't do that. This is saying in the way that you deal with people, in the way that you walk in wisdom towards outsiders, in the way that you deal with other people, make the most of that time. Because in those short, simple moments, whether they be on an elevator, whether they be walking in the hall, whether they be walking into a cafeteria, the way that you engage people is so much bigger than you'll ever realize. You remember last week I made this statement? If you'll take care of the little things, the big things will take care of themselves. I think when it comes to this circle, this together, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I don't think there's going to be some massive movement. There's not going to be some walk that everybody gets together. There's not going to be some major. I will tell you what's going to cause togetherness in the United States and in this world. Number one, it's going to be when we pray to God and he grants it. We talked about that last week. Go listen to the podcast. And number two, when God's people starts making this inside of their circle be something that's contagious and people want to be a part of. Like, what are you demonstrating? How are you making the most of your time? How are you making the most of your time for the people that you want to bring into this circle? 
The next thing that it says, it's very simple. This literally lays it out. It says, making the best use of your time. And then listen to this. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Underline the first word. It says, let your speech, and then underline this word, always. If you have a paperback, underline it. If you have electronic, highlight it. There is a command that God gives you when you're dealing with people for you to always be gracious. You say, oh, so I can be gracious when, like, I'm getting what I want. I can be kind when I'm benefiting from it. What about when they're opposite of me? What about when something goes the different way? He says, you know what, in those times, even be gracious. And then he says this word, seasoned with salt. Now, I want to take just a minute because I spent a lot of time because I wanted to know exactly what that was talking about. Salt in biblical times were used for three things. Three simple things. Flavoring, persevering, and healing. Flavoring, or to preserve something, or for healing. Those were the three basic needs of salt. You say, how big of a deal is that? Well, salt was such a big deal in that time because of the flavoring it would add to the food. You got to realize they didn't have refrigerator systems. Yeah, it wasn't like they had the Maytag man, okay? We're in Whirlpool country. It wasn't like they had the Whirlpool dude, whatever he is. And then the other one was what? For healing. There was a lot of times when something was happening, they would put some salt on a wound or do something like that to heal it. And because of those three things, you know what salt was? Salt was extremely valuable. You say, how valuable did it become? Well, it became so valuable that the Roman soldiers sometimes would not get paid money. They would get paid by salt. In fact, one of the terms used in Latin was what used to be what we call an honorarium. They would call it a salarium. And that word sal is literally the Latin word for salt. You've heard it translated into the French where you hear of a salary in which it turned around and translated into English, which you hear every day, is your salary. Do you know that literally is verbatim, goes back to the concept of how valuable salt is. And you've heard this statement. That guy's not even worth his salt. You know what it's talking about here? It's talking about using your words in such a way that not only is it gracious, but it's seasoned with salt. In other words, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a valuable. It's going to add value to the conversation. Have you ever met people that talk just to talk? But it's one of those things with what's going on. When you do have a chance to add into the conversation, my question is, what are you adding? Yes, I will chase this rabbit in about 30 seconds. With everything going on in the conversations you're going to be having around the water cooler at your work tomorrow or on social media, I would love to know, what are you adding that is valuable to the conversation? What are you adding that brings flavor to the situation? What are you adding that brings the aspect of preserving people In other words, helping them to last longer. What are you doing? Here's a big one. That brings healing to the conversation. We don't do that, do we? I've got a voice. You need to hear my voice. 
When it comes to outsiders, that's not what this is talking about. See, the word that I use, and I try to be real careful, but it's the only mental picture I can give you, is middle finger evangelism. In other words, what you're doing is so offensive that people can't hear what you're saying. You've seen this before, the bullhorn guy on the corner at a major sporting event. He's so, it's just, it's so nauseating that despite him saying what could be the right things, the way he's acting is so nauseating, I can't hear what he's saying. And then the last thing that this talks about is the reason why we should do that. It says, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. See, the concept that's here is that if we will walk with wisdom with outsiders, and if we will not waste the time that we have, and in the way that we are gracious with our words and bringing flavor and and this aspect of salt to their life, then it will lead to them actually getting engaged with you and asking questions. Like what he's talking about in Colossians is not that, oh my goodness, now you're going to have an understanding, you're going to have all this wisdom, and you know how to talk and answer people's questions. The concept that's here is you're actually going to start a dialogue where people actually talk to you. See, here's the way I look at it. I talk about concentric circles a lot. See, I I think that for most of us, here's the way our life works. We're sitting in a circle that's kind of our core, right? And we have some people that are in our core group. These are our inner circle. And as you go out, you go from core to, like, committed. In other words, these people are kind of committed to us. They may not be our core group, but, you know, we're, we're friends. We, we know each other. We're, we're committed to each other. If I needed something or if they needed something, we would, we would be committed to help each other. Then it goes to one level where you have people that are just curious. In other words, they're not committed to anything, but they're curious about what's going on in the core. Like, you've gained their attention. And then the last part is where most people live in your life. They're just part of the crowd. I I want you to think for a minute. How many thousands of people were a part of your life this last week that you didn't even notice? Like they may have been watching you, but they were just a part of the crowd. You know, when we get done with a football game on Friday nights, It's hilarious because we're in a football game where thousands of people are there. And at the end of the game, everybody that's playing on the field outside of their parents have no concept of who was there. Like if you went up to the the star quarterback and said, hey, did you see so-and-so? I was playing the game. I didn't. Like in the middle of it, once the ball was snapped, I didn't even know where the coaches were. I was running the play. But do you know in the middle of that moment, when all of their focus is on the play, is the moment when they have the attention of everybody at the game. For those 10 seconds, those 10 seconds of a play being ran, When all of the players are totally opposite of the attention of all the people in the stands. In other words, they don't even know who's there. 
in those 10 seconds is when everything is focused on them. Parents, listen to me. I truly believe that more is caught than taught. If you think that as a parent that, man, I've got this figured out. I know what I'm going to do to raise my children. Listen to me from somebody that's got five. I'm going to give you my secret. The secret is don't sweat it because it ain't on you. Like there's a God that's bigger that's going to direct your path. And the aspect of being consumed, that one of the ways you, you get to the point where your children want to come back home. Like, that's kind of the goal, right? When it's all said and done, I want this amazing child to grow up and want to come back home. Like, I would love, we're getting close to the holidays. I would love to not have to petition against the in-laws. I would love for my children to say, listen, I don't care when we're doing it, but I'm telling you one thing, I'm going to Pop's house. Why? Because I want to be at Pop's house. But we got all these other people to get to. I understand. And I will get to all of them, but not to the detriment of Pop's house. And you say, how do you get there? Walking in wisdom. Not wasting time. Being gracious with your words. And adding salt to their life. So that you can have a relationship where they ask questions. So they're trying to figure life out. They're not, they're not going to their, their classmate. You know what I'm talking about? The amazing 14-year-old that they want to talk about sex with? You know, because they have all the answers. You know, at 14, you've got it figured out, you know. I'm going to talk to my buddy. Like, hey, how does this work? Why don't you talk to your dad? I ain't, that's weird. I ain't talking to my parents about that. I want them to come talk to me. I want to live a life that they've seen something on the inside of this circle that makes them go, hmm. I'd like to be a part of that. I want to live a life that if they watch me and Lolly buying flowers, they say, that's what I want. Like when I get to your age, that's what I want. You know a family like that. Can we put that on a bigger stage? What about as a church? The way we treat people on the outside of the church dramatically affects their desire to want to be a part of the inside of it. Can I ask it one simple way? Here, I'll open my notes back up to make sure I don't butcher the way I wrote this question. Very simple. I put bottom line. You're like, Mickey, you could have saved me 30 minutes of my life if you'd just done this at the beginning. I know, but, you know. Bottom line, do you live a life that makes people want to be a part of your together? You know, the root of together, if you were to really look at it, is gathering. It's coming together. It's a gathering Scripture says, don't forsake the assembly, the gathering of his people. You say, Mickey, why in the world are so many churches empty in 2020? 
Because I don't think people look and see there's anything of worth on the inside of the circle. Can I ask you, how salty is your life? Now, I need to say this just so some of you don't leave and misunderstand what I'm saying. Do I believe you should stand up for what's right? Absolutely. Do I believe you should have a voice? Absolutely. Do I believe there's a time to stand up and be accounted for? Absolutely. Do I believe that you should have an opinion that holds worth and is biblically sound? Absolutely. Do I believe you should leverage all of those things to make sure that everybody knows you're right? So much so they don't want to be a part of your life? I think you're crossing a dangerous line. Because does it really matter how much you know if nobody's asking you questions to get the answer? If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to experience other talks, visit us at crcconline.com.